Let's dedicate our Dibri Torah today to uh, to baby Nizar Fu Shlema, Israel Ben Ariel Rivka, Fu Kreva Shlema, and another baby also Nizar Fu Shlema Kreva, two year old Shena Hanya Tzipera Baschaya Chaved, Fu Kreva Shlema, Lachaim Lachaim Bracha. The Jews wish a bracha to each other. It's accepted by Hashem more than Malch Machael. Jews say Lachaim wish a bracha. It's it's as it impact more than Malch Machael. Machael does great stuff. Angel Machael does great stuff. When the Jews wish a bracha to each other, it's more than Malch Machael. Lachaim, it's Lachaim. Lachaim, Lachaim, Lachaim. I saw our chazan today was hesitant whether he should say Anna or not because of the New Year's. <laughs> But uh, the truth is that everyone has the same question. Ask different ways. Huh? Oh, is there a way to live without lachats? without pressure, without anxiety, to feel just good, wake up in the morning and just feel good? Or is there no question about our continued pressure and anxiety and living the same way today as yesterday and the same way tomorrow? Is there a way? So the truth is that any way we're going to try only works temporarily. There's only one way that you can live without any lachat, without any pressure whatsoever. And that is, of course, by realizing that we're in someone's hands. And the one we're in, hands we're in, we're, are, are, we're in good hands. There are seven characteristics that you need in order to be trustworthy. To, trust, to be trustworthy, to, to trust in someone, the person you're trusting in has to have seven characteristics. As it says in Chovat HaLavavot. First of all, you only can trust someone if the, the person that you're trusting in, or... More accurately, the only one who has all these qualities perfectly is Hashem. These qualities are as follows. First of all, the one that you feel trust, you put your hands, your, you put your life in their hands, you feel, you feel at ease, is someone who cares about you, someone who loves you. If they don't love you, you don't, you don't feel, you don't feel have your best interests. Just because they love you doesn't mean that they'll actually do the best thing for you. Like this guy, he has a very nice aunt who's very nice, she loves him a lot. But she thinks he, he, that, he, that he wants to go out with someone who looks like his grandmother. He loves his grandmother too, but that's not the one he wants to go out with for a shidduch. Am I right? Okay. So, uh, so the, in order to feel at ease in someone's hands, not only do they have to love you, they have to know you. But they may love you and know you, but could be they get busy. Especially in our society, it gets so busy. You know, text message, WhatsApp, email, phone call. Busy. Someone doesn't forget about you. Don't forget about you. As we say in the Torah, the guardian of Israel does not sleep or slumber. Number four, in order for the, to, to feel really at ease, the one you're trusting in has to be strong. It means your great aunt may even know the word person you have to go out with, but can she make that happen? Can she get that person to really sit up and take notice that you're interested? It has to be someone who is powerful. But even someone's powerful, and they know you, and don't forget about you, you don't fully trust them unless they have a track record. A track record. They've always been there for you. So then you, you feel much more secure. So those, all these qualities, of course, are, we see it in Hashem. Hashem knows us, and cares about us, and doesn't forget about us, and He's powerful. And more importantly, quality number six, Hashem is kind even to those who are undeserving. 
You may love someone, but you're going to give them what you think they need because of their behavior. You're not going to go all the way. To really feel at ease in someone's hands, you have to know the person's going to be kind to you, even if you don't deserve it. And the seventh quality, the kshir in itself, maybe we'll touch on it today a little bit, it says in Chomet HaLavavot, you only fully trust someone if you're completely in their hands. If you're not completely, completely in their hands, you don't fully trust them. So, someone may be strong and everything, but maybe he's not around here. The seventh quality is that this example of a servant in his master's pit, the only one with the key is the master. The only one who could hurt him or could help him is the master. That's how we are, as we say in our prayers in Yom Kippur, we are like uh, material in the hand of a craftsman. And whatever happens to us is only, only in Hashem's hands. That's the only way to really achieve full roga, to feel completely at ease without any lachats, to feel you're in Hashem's hands. And that's just that Hashem will do something that He knows is good, but in a way that you could see that it's good. That's, that's a way to feel roga. So today, we're going to learn, based on the parasha of this week, the Torah portion of this week, how Hashem gives us guidance through the makot, through the ten plagues. The Baal Shem Tev says, I don't know where this comes from, it said in the name of the Baal Shem Tev, that the ten plagues are not just ten plagues that happened then, but it brings a proof from the Torah, it says, that Hashem made these plagues, um, these plagues stand on the earth for Mitzrayim Israel. They stand on earth for the Egyptians and the Jewish people. They're always there. And the ten plagues have the answer to all of our questions. Any question we have in life, the answer to any question we have is in the ten plagues. I can put these plagues there to answer whatever difficulty, question, quandary, you name it, is there in the ten plagues. How do ten plagues give us guidance? What is this? So first of all, that's the more important question. Who told us about the ten plagues? The Torah, right? But in the very first verse of this week's Torah portion, it sounds like Hashem is is confused. What does it say in the first verse? Elohim spoke to Moshe, Elokim. Name is Elokim, right? Elokim spoke to Moshe. What did he say to Moshe? He said, I am Yud Kevavke. Now, Hashem has different names. What are the different names of Hashem about? Different names of Hashem are about Hashem says, I'm called according to my deeds. Hashem doesn't have a name. His name is the way He relates to us. He, when Hashem acts in a certain way, He's expressing a certain characteristic. That's why in last parasha, when Moshe was told by God, go tell the Jewish people, I'm going to take them out of Egypt, they said, Moshe said to, to God, what if they ask me your name? Why is that important all of a sudden? What if they ask me your name? We well, can ask a million questions. What do I, will I do if they ask me your name? What, what Moshe meant was, Paro is bathing in Jewish blood, and they're suffering for hundreds of years there. What characteristic, what kind of God is this? What kind of God is this? What kind of God is this that causing all this pain and suffering and torture, who is this God? What's his name? What kind of behavior is that? That's why Moshe responded with a very unusual name of Hashem. I will be with them, Hashem says. I will be with them in this problem. I'll be with them in the next problem. This is my name forever. The word forever is also the same as a word to hide. Hashem says, I'm, I'm, I love them and I care about them and I'm with them no matter what goes on. But at sometimes I'm hidden. Sometimes you cannot see the love. Sometimes you, you don't see what the love is about. And that's what Moshe told them. That's what Hashem told Moshe to tell the Jewish people. I'm with them and I feel their pain. As we say every day in our prayers, Whenever we have pain, God has pain. Why does he have to do that? Where was he during the Holocaust and all the questions that each of us ask, ask about ourselves in, in different moments in our life? 
So we can't. We don't know the answer to these questions. We do know is eh yasher eh yeah. Whatever we're into, whatever's going on, Hashem is with us, and not always we know. And we don't always know why. That's what the name of Hashem means. The way Hashem acts. That's why you'll notice everything Torah is so precise. Throughout the whole story of Egypt, there's one name that's used for Hashem. Which name is used for Hashem throughout the whole story? Elohim. Elohim. The whole time Elohim. Why Elohim? Elohim is America equivalent to the word Hateva. Hateva means nature. Hateva, the word nature in Hebrew, what is nature? The word nature in Hebrew comes from the word submerged. Submerged. Hashem is like a king who puts on a disguise and he pretends, I'm not around. It's not, and there's no king around. He's wearing clothing and it looks like he's not there. That's what nature is. What's the difference in, between the nature and the miracle? Everything is by the hand of Hashem. Nature is a miracle that we got used to. That's what nature is. Nature is a miracle that God that we used to, that we're used to, and miracles are, are are things that God does that we're not used to. That's the meaning of the word miracle. So when Hashem says to Moshe, "Ani Hashem," so he said, Hashem says, "My name is Elohim. My name is Hashem." Which one is it? Well, why Hashem spoke to Elohim spoke to Moshe? Elohim is the name of Hashem, which about hiding himself, which is the name he's using throughout the whole book of Shemot. The name of Hashem, where Hashem hides himself. And he says, my name is Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke, as, you, as we all know over here in downtown, that every other Persian business is called by the name 26, right? <laughs> Why 26? Because 26 is a miracle equivalent to the name of Hashem, which is Yudke Vavke, which is God's name, which expresses His miracles and His mercy. So, only when God tells Moshe at the story of the burning bush about the exodus, about the redemption, only there does God first use the word Yudke Vavke. Only there does He use the name Yudke Vavke, because only there is their beginning of the revelation of Hashem. But throughout the story of, of, of uh, the Jewish people in Egypt, until the redemption, until the first glimmer of hope, the name of Hashem is Elohim. Elohim is the name of Hashem, how he hides himself. Yuki Vavke is how he reveals himself. And yet over here, the Torah says, Elohim says, I'm Avai. Which one is it? It's like, imagine you have the, what, the, the minister of, of, of defense says, I'm minister of education. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, Elohim says he's Avai. Is it, is it the way Hashem hides himself or is it the way Hashem reveals himself? Which one is it? Question number one. One more question. I know there's no food, so I have to go very quickly. Uh, the next question is what's the meaning of ten plagues? What's, what's ten plagues? Why ten plagues? When the Jews, uh, sorry, the Jews, when, when, when Hashem wanted to destroy the world, he made a flood. You know, Hiroshima. When Hashem wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, what did Hashem do? And one night, it was all done. One morning, over. Here, it's ten plagues. You know how long the ten plagues lasted? How long ago it was for? One year. One year. When did it start? When did Hashem speak to Moshe? Anybody know? Hashem spoke to Moshe in the month of Iyar. Why the month of Iyar? The month of Iyar is, as we see from the fact that, they, that Paro said they should gather straw. When do you gather straw in the Middle East? In the beginning of the summertime. Iyar. When we were redeemed, we know for sure when we were redeemed, we were redeemed in, in uh, Nisan, mm-hmm. in, in the month of uh, April, April, May, when the beginning of the springtime. So what happened for that whole year? What happened from ER to Nisan, a whole year? There's 10 plagues. 10 plagues doesn't equal to, to 12 months. So what mm-hmm. happened in 12 months, 10 plagues? How does it work? So it says like this. Moshe comes to Paro. He tells Paro, he warns him that, that Hashem wants to... It doesn't make any sense. Why give a whole year? Just destroy them at once. Done, you know? Why, why, why this whole process? So here's, here's what happened. Moshe came to Paro, and he told Paro that Hashem wants the Jewish people to be free. What happened next? Pa- Par- huh? 
wanted to prove him. So Paro said, from now on, no more straw. Find your own straw. Mm-hmm. It was much more, and you have to make the same amount of bricks without straw. What did Moshe do then? You know what Moshe did then? Anyone know? Huh? Complained to Hashem. And Hashem said, okay, you're right. Now is it, till now is a time of Elohim. Till now is a time of concealment. Now there's going to be a time of revelation. Now will be a time of miracles. You're going to see. Where did Moshe go? What happened next? Went back to Pharaoh, no? Moshe ran away. <laughs> you know why you don't have Moshe ran away? Moshe, it says in the Talmud, Moshe ran away because he couldn't bear to see the pain of the Jewish people. He couldn't bear to see it. He was so, he was so broken. And he couldn't leave. He couldn't, he couldn't bear to see it. So from Iyar until Rosh Hashanah, for six months, Moshe runs away. Then what happens to Rosh Hashanah? A few days before Rosh Hashanah, then Hashem tells Moshe to come back and to tell them about the plagues. Each plague worked in, in the following order. There was one week, I'm sorry, there was one week of the plague, and there were three weeks of warning. Three weeks of warning, one week of the plague. So it says that we stop working for the paro, for Pharaoh, in Tishrei. After Shoshan, we stop working. Why do we stop working? Because that's when the plagues began. How did the plagues work? It was six and a half months. So from Tishrei, until Pesach, from a little before Tishrei, until Pesach, is six, six months and, and three weeks. What happened? There was... This is the way it worked. We say the night of the Seder, night of the Seder, we say, you know, we are accustomed to pour the wine into the cup, and we have a whole order how we do it, blood, frogs, lice, each one we pour into the, into the thing. And then we say, Rabbi Yehuda said, all the plagues will be divided into three categories. And he says, how do you divide them? One second, what's the big deal? Because no one can figure that out. What did he do? He made an acrostic. He took the first letter of each plague, and he divided the three words. Why? Rabbi Yehuda said it. Your two-year-old, your five-year-old, your ten-year-old couldn't do the same thing. Right. Rabbi Yehuda did something amazing. He made it into three categories. Maza. So Barbanel explains that the plagues were really in three categories. How does he, and he, and he, it was really an intense psychotherapy. The purpose of the plagues was intense psychotherapy. And each set of plagues was meant to accomplish something, to answer not just the questions of the Egyptians, but to answer our own questions. Three questions that we could ask. The first question we could ask is, is there someone out there that's beyond nature that is running the world? Does the world really have an order? Does it really have an order? That's the first question the Egyptians asked. Is there, some, is there a superpower? Period. Number two, is superpower, does he really know me and care about me? And, and does, he really, does, does he care what I do? Does he care what I do? Does he care what I act this way, act that way? Second question. And the third question, what about all the things that I do that all of us have done today? And we all wonder every single day, all day, what if I did this? What if I did that? I prepared this contract and I made this presentation and I made this phone call and I sent this email and I did this and I did this business, I could have done that business. And a hundred times a day, what about this thing called nature? What is, this, what is this thing called nature? Is nature a thing or not? Those are, the, most of our lives look like things are natural. What is nature? What is a thing called nature? That's our third question. So to answer these three questions, Hashem sent three sets of plagues. How does our Barbara know those three sets of plagues? It's fascinating. Barbara says, you look, in each of these three sets, there, is, there are stages in how Moshe tells Paro. The first plague of blood, God tells, Paro, God tells Moshe, tell Paro, when Paro stands there by the river in the morning, Paro will go to the river every morning to pretend that he's a god, he couldn't go to the bathroom, so he will go, go to the river every morning. So God told Moshe, tell him in the morning. When's the next time God tells him to, to tell him in the morning? Not until the next set of plagues, the, the fourth plague, which is in the next set of plagues. 
not by the plague of frogs, not by the plague of lice, only when it comes to the, the, the plague of Arov, Arov, the next set, uh, uh, only then, the plague of the mixed wild animals, only then does it say again, go warn the para. Then again, when's the next time he says to tell him in the morning? By the third set of plagues, which is the plague of hail. What about the second plague and the, f- and the fifth plague and the, and the uh, uh, eighth plague? Those plagues, God told Moshe, tell him sometime. Warn him at sometime. doesn't say when. It's warning him sometime. What about the third of each set of plagues? The plague of lice, the, the plague of darkness. Those plagues, no warning. No warning at all. So the, the plague of blood, there's a, warning, a full warning time in the morning. The second plague... It says warm sometime, doesn't say in the morning. And the third plague is no warning at all. It's just the plague should happen. So you see the Bible now proves that there's three different kinds of plagues. The first group of plagues was meant to expose and to reveal that there's a superpower, there's, that there's someone who takes care of the world, that there's something above nature. How so? The Egyptians worshipped the Nile River. Everything was so secure and so obvious and so, so, so easy. And God transforms the water to blood and shows them that things aren't the way they look. And then sends them, sends them the frogs and the lice. And the Egyptian sorcerers weren't able to produce lice because it says in the Talmud that witchcraft has no power over something which is smaller than the size of a barley corn. So even the, even the Egyptian sorcerer says, Etzba lokimi, this, this is the finger of God. So Barbanel says, what did Hashem tell Moshe before he gave him the first three plagues? Whenever you have a, a chapter, you have introductions. There's a title of the chapter. In order that they should know that I am Hashem. That's the purpose. Of the, they should know there's something above. What's this, the title of the second group of plagues? Hashem told Moshe, tell, I want to give them these plagues. Why? They should know that I am Hashem, the Kerev Haaretz, in the, in the land. How did the second group of plagues do that? Because the second group of plagues, it, it was the first time it was noticeable that it was only to the Egyptians, not to the Jews. By the second group of plagues, it was clear that the wild animals, the wild animals, where they go, they only went to the Egyptians, they didn't go to Goshen. The, Torah, the first time the Torah says they didn't affect the Jews, there's a discussion whether they did affect, didn't affect the Jews, but the first time the Torah says clearly, and it was obvious, that there's nothing to do with the Jews, was in the plague of the wild animals. All these wild animals, which have no intelligence, they're all not going to the place of the Jews. So you could see that Hashem was making a differentiation between the tzaddik, those who were acting right with the Jewish people, and those who were oppressing them. That's what you saw in the second group of plagues. And the third group of plagues, Hashem showed the world that nature is just like Plato. There's, no, that, that, there's nothing called nature. In the third group of plagues, what, what happened? Hashem brought the plague of hail. What was the plague of hail? It was, what, what, are the, what are the two most diametrically opposed forces in the world? Water. Fire and water. So this fire and water. Make a shidduch. We'll dance together. Make a shidduch. You're thinking about the shidduch still. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Well, a different kind of shidduch. But and then the plague of darkness. When you want to tell someone it's really going to happen, you say it's going to happen. Like the sun's going to rise tomorrow. I'm telling you, you're going to have to check tomorrow morning. That's it's really it's, it's for real. Okay, in downtown doesn't really mean, mean much. Whatever. But <laughs> but 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 that's the plague of darkness. Is 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 emphasizes how the strongest thing of nature is not a thing. It's not a thing that. And the locusts, the, the, the grasshoppers. When do locusts come? When there's a lot of produce. All the produce was already gone because of the other plagues. And they, now when there's nothing to eat, then they come. You saw in the last three plagues this idea of Hashem totally doing away with the whole concept of nature. Hashem is showing that there's, that there's no existence of nature by itself. 
So what was the point of this whole? Uh, in each, so so that's why there's six and a half months. There's the, the, the first of these three sets. The first plague of each three sets is a month, and then the other plagues are just a week. And that's how you have six and a half months. What's the point of the whole thing? Is to transform the perspective, not just of the Egyptians, but of us today. That we should look at ourselves and realize we're in, we're, we're in good hands. That's the opening verse of this parasha. Shem says, you look like it's Elohim, look like it's nature. What looks to you like nature is not really nature. Not just that Shem does stuff which is beyond nature, but looks to you like, what even looks like nature, there's no such thing as nature. No such thing as you made a decision, it was your decision, you, it was someone else's decision, you're stuck over here, you're going to get in this business, on that business, you, did, you want to take a new loan because you didn't know, nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. I'll tell you once, I'll let you guys go. Unbelievable story. There was a guy in uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, my friend of mine knows every person's story. It's a true story. This guy is in business in diamonds, and he walks across the hallway to see a friend of his, and his friend's angry. And he's throwing everything away. Everything's away. What are you doing? This is my dad. I hate my dad. He's not going to control me. And he throws all the stuff they got from his dad, you know, like his, whatever his dad gave him, he's throwing into the garbage, and the garbage is filling up. And he sees in the garbage, there's a check, which is made in this nice frame. And the check says, Lubavitch, from the Rebbe's name, Rabbi Schneerson, has the Rebbe's name. So what, what is this? The guy's not religious. But he sees it, you know, the, the Rebbe's name on a check, a $200 check. He says, what's this? He says, ah, it's my father's, I don't care, you could have it. He takes the check, okay? He was invited to... Uh, this guy was invited some time later to the home of Rabbi Menachem Volpa. He's Rebbe's emissary in um, Netanya. Netanya. So he goes to his house for Shabbat. He's thinking, well, I'm going to bring this Chabadnikim for Shabbat. Let's bring them a gift. Ah, what will they appreciate? Oh, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe has his name. They will love this. They'll love it. This will make them crazy. So they bring them the check. Oh, of course, they really appreciate it. This guy, he ended up going... 15 years later, 15 years later, he ended up going to a business meeting or a show in Moscow. The night before he arrived, he found out, he heard people were talking about that there was an event. At the event, they had a charity event, and there was an auction of a dollar of the Rebbe. And the dollar of the Rebbe, that the Rebbe gave to someone, they would give thousands, thousands of dollars. This dollar, every Sunday, would give about seven, eight thousand dollars This guy had bought the dollar for $4,000. Wow. So he's thinking, oh my gosh. Here I'm traveling away from my wife and kids, trying to make a few, a few ruble, and I had, a, I had in my hands, I had in my hand, who knows, probably a quarter million dollars, a $200 check. Who knows what they give for a check? It's so, it's so unusual. Who knows what they give for this? So he comes home, and he tells his wife what happened, and he's so upset, and he tells his wife to call Rabbi Volpa and tell him they want it back. <laughs> but his wife said, nothing to him, I'm not calling him. But then Rabbi Volpa himself... Can you repeat? <laughs> right. Rabbi Volpa, he called up them. He called up them to, he was raising money for something. He called them up, he found their name in a computer from years before. He called them, you know, a charity campaign, whatever. He calls them up, and they say, uh, she answers the phone, Rabbi, we will give you triple what you're asking for, with love. But I want to tell you, we're really upset at you. She tells them why. She said, do you have that still, that check? You, you probably sold it for a quarter million dollars. I mean, what would you do with it? He says to her, honestly, that check was on my desk for 15 years. But right now, what happened was, is that the rabbi, unfortunately, the tragedy is a rabbi is very sick for a long time, Mati Gal. He is, was the rabbi's emissary in the Ramat Gan. And, when he, and he, when he passed away, 
his, his widow and their children tried to rebuild the Chabad institutions Ramat Khan, and they asked his advice in fees from the Tanya and they, and, and they discussed what they could do in order to encourage them he gave them this 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 is his, his precious uh, check that he, that he's, that he gave them as a, you know as a, to give them strength so she the wife of this Talavivnik who was in diamonds she calls up the widow of Matigal widow. you know I just want to tell you she says Mrs. Mrs. Gal says I'm sorry this guy rescued all of the Chabad institutions here and gave the, and really helped us out and as a tribute to him we gave him this check that's that's what she says. Now, this guy, this guy who had, who had, who had uh, this guy from Tel Aviv, this guy who's in the diamond industry, okay, story's over, right? Story's over, okay? One day, this the is... The check 15, is still out there. The check is, she gave it away. Yeah, but it's still out there. It's still out there. Okay. To, to this person, this person had gotten the check and that she gave as a tribute. So, one day, he's walking across the hallway again and he decides, I'm going to go back to this guy. So I just wonder, it's 15 years later. Why did this guy have a check from the Rebbe? How'd that happen? So he went over to the guy, the same guy that he'd been in his office 15 years before and he got the check. He says, tell me, how'd you get that check? No one has checks from the Babacha Rebbe for $200. How'd you get the check? He says, listen, my father had a friend named Matigal. And Matigal was his best friend. And his institutions were, were, were crashing. My father decided he wanted to help him big time. And Mati Gal said, in order to say thank you to you, I want to give you my biggest, my most precious possession. I got a check from the Rebbe. The check is not, can't cash, not, a, not a cashable check anymore, but it's, but it's my most precious possession, and I want to give this to you. He came in the middle of the night and he gave him and said, here is the check I got from Harry Mubavitch. So here we see, see the divine providence. Here, Mati Gal had given away a check he got from the Rebbe, and now it came back to his widow at a time that the Rebbe had sent to him I came back to his widow in a time that she needed it to give her strength. It just shows you the, the divine providence. We think that we're in the, we know it's going to be this way. Any situation you have in your life, let's ask yourself this question. How many options are there? It's like three or four options, things are going to happen. And you always discover <laughs> many, many <laughs> options. Many, many options. We have to realize whose hands we're in. We have to realize that they have a tachon, trust in Hashem, and the feel good. And then Hashem will show us with Hashem We'll see how all of Elohim, with the all of Hashem hiding himself, is really Kevavke, it's really Hashem's hidden miracles. L'chaim l'chaim v'raf. L'chaim No.